time for Type 40, a Doctor Who podcast from the Spacebook for the Fandom Podcast Network. I'm Dan Hadley, Birmingham's king of the geeks, your designated driver and mouth runner, here to deliver Doctor Who conversation once again on our big thinking, free speaking show for everyone. That's whatever decade or century you started watching, reading or listening along to those ongoing adventures of our hero, Doctor Who. We chat about it all on this show and we even throw in the odd laugh or two here and there, now and again, along the way. So come and step into our TARDIS and share this journey together here with us on Type 40 in this 60th anniversary year. Here again, but I'm not alone. I'm picking up a mate en route. And as we're going back to the 80s, it's only fair, only right that it's somebody who knows his his ABC from his haircut 100. It's my mate, Simon Horton. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I see what you did there. Very good. I like that, Dan. Yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. Uh, of course, I wasn't born in the 80s. I didn't, I didn't, I didn't live through the 80s. I'm far, far too young to, uh, to have done that. Of course. But, uh, of course, of course. Yeah, no, everybody that knows me knows I'm pretty much, I, I've never actually grown up to be honest, I'm still locked in the 80s. I'm very, very happily stuck back in early to mid 1980s. And after that, I'm kind of done, to be honest. <laughs> we just can't seem to leave this decade alone, can we? I'm playing more 80s music than ever. I think if I could manage to get my quiff up high enough, I think I'd probably go the full Paul Young, given the given half the chance, if I could get hold of the, a, a can of Bristow's. But they probably made that stuff illegal. It's probably very bad for the environment, I'd say. Uh, yeah, I would have thought so by now. But it is, undoubtedly, it's the best decade. Uh, bar none, I, I'll, I'll fight anybody over this one. The 80s is, undoubtedly, the best decade. Well, I've got some even better news for you, because things can only get better. Well, hey, see what you did there. Was that Howard Jones? That wasn't ABC. Was that it? was Howard Jones. That was Howard Jones. <laughs> it wasn't even a band, but I was close. <laughs> I'm delighted to welcome back two... Uh, well, let's face it, they're exactly the same. They're not going to help us out of this, are they? They're going to languish in it with us. It's our friends John Collier and Alex Dora back on the show. Oh, back to the 80s. Back to the 80s. <laughs> Very much dressed for the occasion there, there, John. Very snazzy purple and blue neon tube logo shirt you, you're uh, clad in this time. Thanks, Dan. We can all appreciate a little bit of 80s uh, style merchandise now, can't we? Just like the sort of stuff you used to buy in the 80s, in the exhibitions. Yeah, that's exactly it. I remember those. I remember those T-shirts for sale in the exhibitions. Never bought one at the time. Why didn't I buy one, John? Why didn't I buy one? You could buy one, Simon, and do what I did, wear it every day. And now I've still got it, but it's like an old bit of rag. Have you still got the original T-shirt? You've actually got it. Wow. It was black. It was it was similar to this, but more sort of silver the logo was. Uh, would have been about 81, 82. But at least you still got it. That's brilliant. Yeah. You still got it. It could have been when you go around these exhibitions and things as children. I don't know if you found this, Alex, but uh, there was often so many things that I wanted but only so much money in my little wallet. Well, it was actually more a sort of purse read and a bit of string around my neck that I had been bought as a child. I wasn't allowed to go over a, certain, over a certain amount. So when I went to these places and I had to buy a Doctor Who postcard, for example, you know, I could choose two, even though there was like 12 that I wanted. Did you have that too? Well, I think given my experience at the, the Blackpool exhibition, it was however many times I could get my parents to put their hands in their pockets. And, uh, and of the two visits we had uh, on both occasions, we came out with bags full of stuff. So I guess it was a case of we're not going to be back here anytime soon, so get what we can. Um, 
which did include a, a Dalek T-shirt, oh. uh, illustrated by uh, Von Vass, who did all the other range of uh, T-shirts and other stuff for the exhibition, and I still mm -hmm. got it. It no longer fits me. In fact, it hasn't fitted me since I was about eight. Um, and all that <laughs> remains of it is the front bit of the design that I cut out, and, and it lives in a photo album. At least oh, you've got Here we are again making exhibitions of ourselves. Gentlemen, Where? in a while, hasn't it? I was going to say, where have you been? What, you've been? what have you been up to? But I know you've been busy. But on, on the off chance that people watching or listening, they know your names but can't quite place it, where will they have seen your names before? We got together uh, to work on our first book back in 2020. I can't believe it. And we released that in the August of that year, which was Blackpool Remembered. And then a year after that, we released Blackpool Revisited. So with the first two volumes, a thousand uh, pages, all about the original Doctor Who exhibition and the second Doctor Who uh, museum as well that was run by David Boyle. And then we sort of, we'd, we'd been messaging each other about Longleat, hadn't we, Alex? But we neither of us yeah. ever went to Longleat. Neither of us ever went. So we, we don't have that same sort of first-hand experience or that same emotional connection. And we thought, well, what? how can we make it happen? Because we, we don't have that, but we'll know a lot of other people that do. These two e-books that were geared around the Blackpool exhibition, mm. they started out, didn't they, as quite a small, I wonder if we can kind of project but it grew and grew and grew and got quite a lot of attention i mean it immediately piqued my interest i think i got in touch with you quite early on in the project and you were still put, putting it together but it really did catch people's imaginations didn't it and obviously led, led to the second volume and i remember the last time we spoke to you you know you said you're going to have a, a good long rest and weren't sure what you're going to come back with you're back with a brand new project and i can't wait to to hear all about it simon i, I at least take some blame for for what <laughs> has 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 now come about with the new book because I do definitely remember badgering you boys when you when you I think probably when you were first on with Blackpool remembered I'm oh, sure yeah. I badgered you, you then did. you know what about long leech you're going to do long leech boys and here it is yeah and for all that we're talking about uh, neon tubes a moment ago everything has gone quite quite diamond obviously this year it being the 60th anniversary year. It's, it's always an anniversary of something in Doctor Who terms, isn't it? So it may be the 60th anniversary of Doctor Who itself, but it's the 40th anniversary of something else, something very evocative, something very particular. And we're going to get stuck into talking about all of that in a couple of minutes. Everybody's gone very into diamonds again. Have you noticed diamonds are absolutely everywhere, Alex? All the old merchandise packaging, yep. Yeah, yeah, it's it's all back. Right. It's all back. I, th I think the neon logo will have its time again, but for the time being, I think we've crossed it. Be happy. Well, I think the diamond logo is the sort of it's become the quintessential Who logo, hasn't it? Yes, it yes. has. It has. It evokes for, the best era of the show for a lot of yeah. people. Yeah, but for for plenty of us, I think that our hearts may lie truthfully in the in the early eighties. The jury's out. Maybe it will have its time in due course. But yeah, for now, it's all about the diamonds. And uh, if you'd like to do some real time travelling of your own, of course. As always, you'll be glad to learn that each and every edition of this show, past, present and future, is just a tap or two away on the device of your choice if you know exactly where to look. There's uh, masses now, a proper time stream's worth of reviews, previews, interviews, geek outs and deep dives with all our regular panellists and some pretty awesome guests. In fact, we know there's something for every fan over at type40.podbean.com 
We're so convinced of that. There'll be another reminder about it all later on, and not before we make contact with that matrix of all knowledge that we call the Fandom Podcast Network for a word about all the other great conversations going on across all the other shows on the family over there. Okay, I'm I'm pretty revved up now, I have to say, and uh, yeah, I feel the hankering for the for the fresh air and the freshly mown lawns of Longleat. I don't think it matters which decade we head to when it's a place like this, a location like that. It has a sort of timeless feel. Let's waste no more time. Let's go. Okay, so these were heady times, everybody, heady times. And uh, over Easter weekend, 40 years ago, carloads of families from across Great Britain made a kind of pilgrimage, didn't they? Uh, Even if the parents who'd uh, packed the the lunches and plotted the routes, they may not have been as aware as the kids were (laughs) exactly what was going to roll out over the next 48 hours or so. And they certainly couldn't have predicted that it would change their lives. I think everybody who was there to one extent or another, whether they could do both days or one day or whatever else, they've been talking about it nonstop ever since. It was seven quid all in to join the BBC's own. It was BBC Enterprises, wasn't it? Official 20th anniversary event in the grounds of Longleat House in Wiltshire and it was really quite the occasion so I remember reading about it and being so envious that I that I couldn't be there but it was advertised as uh, I, 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 <laughs> it was advertised excuse me as a transdimensional experience of all things Doctor Who Simon you were there you made it yeah were they were they overselling it there? <laughs> no, 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 no. I, you know, I, I have long said that this was the best weekend of my life, and it, and it still was, and and that sounds like hyperbole, and it really, really wasn't. It was one of the best. When it was, it was the very best weekend of my life, um, because all my Christmases came up once. You know, I can still remember seeing the, uh, seeing the first mention. Uh, of the celebration happening after, I don't know, it would have been an episode of Arc of Infinity or something like that. I can't remember. Um, and immediately I pounced on it because by, by that point, I've been going as a family. We've been going to, to Longleat since 1978 um, to the exhibition. And so for three, four, five years at that point, I've been going to uh, to Longleat every year. So to suddenly have this, and I didn't know Doc Two conventions the kind of thing that Dwas were putting on. I didn't know those existed in those days because I didn't even know Dwas existed. So to suddenly find a two-day event happening at Longleat, which I already knew very well, there was never any oh, question whatsoever that we were going. Um, and so we were lucky enough to go. We actually got down there a couple of days beforehand. We did a family holiday down there. Um, and so we stopped in our caravan in Longleat. So I was even there on the day before when they were setting it all up. And I hung around driving everybody mad, you know, watching, asking questions. Yeah. Uh, as I saw Daleks brought in and Tardis is brought in and marquees being put up. And, and it just, you know, I, I, in many ways, this is a difficult show to do simply because however much I gush about it, I feel awful for the people who were not there. 
because it's, it I feels like you're rubbing you're rubbing everybody else's nose into it. It's I can't tell you. I can't tell you how fed up I am of hearing about this event. Everybody. <laughs> It seems like everybody went apart from me, but those who were lucky enough to be there got a parade of, of doctors, didn't they? And companions, monsters and props, past, present and even future that they, they'd never forget. It was the, the Hooniverse's very own Woodstock, Alex. Oh, yeah. And now, thanks to yourself and John and an army of contributors, as always, including our Simon, Longleat 83, it's sort of back on again, isn't it? Albeit in ebook form. You know, this really, for me, um, I've seen videos and documentaries and YouTube clips and all sorts of things on the celebration event before. Mm. But this, this project was the first time afterwards I thought, I almost feel like I've been there. Mm. through the, the the amazing photographs that we were given that looked like we were taking yesterday, some of them. Um, mm. And just the, the fan accounts, which are just so so warming, so vivid, so emotional at times as well. So it's really that combination of those, those clear memories that you can tell have been preserved over time, along with so many brilliant photographs of many, many rare moments that haven't been seen since. It really did feel like a little bit of experiencing it, I think, going through all this lot. And did you feel the same, John? Because of course you, you, you yeah, you uh, absolutely, absolutely. I, and I, you know, we decided pretty early on that we wanted to split the book into two halves. Really, the first half being take people right back to April 1983, as if they were there, and sort of do that sort of step through, walk through each of the tents. Lots of photographs showing detail of what was actually on display and happening. And then the second half of the book, um, which obviously, Simon, you were involved in as well, yeah. was those those accounts, you know, those those first hand accounts from people and the sharing of those personal memories and photographs. And Alex is absolutely right. We do feel like we've been there and we've seen it from lots of different angles. And I guess to some degree, readers will will say, actually, you know, I was there, but I didn't get to, a chance to see that bit or I never saw that bit. I didn't know that happened. So it's been great to get a response from some people who did attend, who, like us, have discovered new things about that particular, um, you know, monumental weekend. And and actually, the you know, the greatest accolade I can give to you boys is that as somebody who was there, firstly, is the degree of accuracy that you've managed to get with this of the events of when they were happening and, and where they were happening. But also, while you say you feel like you you were able to live being there as though you weren't. For me, as somebody who was there, it was brilliant to relive through the way you've done it, as you've done it with this walkthrough of all the different marquees, areas, so on and so forth. And as I say, that's the greatest accolade I can give to you is that you you have achieved it. You, you, you feel like you've been there because as somebody who was there, that's exactly how it was. And it's quite amazing that because you weren't there, you've managed to do it. You've managed to recreate the event as though you were. Um, and that, it's just brilliant. So for me and for anybody else who was there reading this this book, it, it, I, I, had, I was rediscovering things that I'd forgotten because one of the things with that weekend is it was so, it was such a sensory overload in every respect. There was so much going on, you simply, nobody could have taken it all in um and so it's brilliant as you say to, to relive the bits that 
I might have forgotten or I didn't get to. And and that's why you feel like you, you boys are living it now, because you've just recreated as best as we possibly can get that whole weekend. And so it does seem that way. Every time you see pictures, every time you read accounts of this, because there are whole websites already dedicated to this, uh, set up by just one one person often just recounting it. I think in sort of diary form, or as if for the for themselves, as much as for a reader, sort of to um, to commit it to to the page or to words somehow to preserve it. It seems to have been that important to people, but it does seem like it was a total whirlwind. I mean, the, the amount of things that I've seen, and I've never really researched it, researched it. You say, how long how long did this go on for? Because the amount, like I said, the amount of things that seem to be happened, you think, well, this must have been on for a whole week. Surely it can't have just been two days. But it seems, it seems that it was. But I was wondering, you know, when you came on the show before and Simon hit you with the pitch for a book about Longleat somehow, <laughs> and I, I would imagine that Simon wasn't the only one, that there were probably several people who, yeah. who said something similar. Is that how it was, John? Definitely. I mean, you know, as soon as the first book was released, it was like a bit of an explosion of um, exhibit. We call them our exhibition army, don't we, Alex? And, you know, the, the response was amazing. But it was, yeah. oh, well, we never got to Blackpool. Um, we only went to Longleat. When are you doing that one? And Simon <laughs> was one of those voices, you know. Yeah, and, and, yeah and absolutely. We were a little bit, you know, it was just some trepidation in terms of not really totally getting um, the content and the knowledge of what happened the only thing I, 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 that i experienced because you two gentlemen like john didn't you grow up or you had a family member who lived around the corner from the blackpool exhibition and alex you'd been there a couple of times hadn't you so blackpool was very much one of the center points of both your fandoms whereas this is uh, this happened decades ago at a location hundreds of miles away you'd got no real connection to it Apart from that neon logo and a few stories that other people have told you at conventions, yeah, I suppose. Dodgy black and white pictures in Doctor Who magazine. Yeah, same um, yeah. And I think we knew, we, we, after, like you said, we spoke with Simon long before the book started, but we knew that for, for you, Longleat was like Blackpool was for me yeah. and John, the way that we think of it, the experience that we had of it. I mean, for me, certainly, it probably still remains the highlight of my childhood and of my fandom oh, at the age I was then um, it was the ultimate Doctor Who experience and it I really couldn't have, have been any better um, and it's it stayed with us so we we knew that Simon and other fans that went would have would have that same nostalgia for it and that was I think what we wanted to channel and also maybe to for all those fans that queued up and couldn't get in another way of them to to discover what what, what went on there Fans have preserved these things over the decades. And so we, we know, don't we, roughly, if not what actually happened, what went down exactly when, what they intended to happen, where and when. And so put together, you can you can compare that with people's memories and what's, what was committed to film and hand it over to to you guys who've been editing and collating and, and interviewing people to get their own words to, to sort of filter through, I suppose, what actually happened. Were you able, through the the skill set that you put together working on the previous books arrive at a place where you could get to pretty much hard fact. Yeah, I mean, there, were, there are things out there which are from that particular weekend. I think the closest I ever got to it was listening to um, Ed Stewart broadcasting on the yes. radio. I actually listened to that live when it was Simon, tell me about that. Yeah. 
And, well, no, I'll let John say about it first, and then I'll tell you what happened about that. But go on, you go for I, it. I didn't even know it was happening. You know, it just happened to be on. Uh, we had the radio on at home because it was obviously the, the the bank holiday weekend. So yeah. Parents were listening to the radio, and then they said that they're broadcasting from Longleat. I knew the Longleat was taking place. Didn't know that the BBC were going to broadcast from there. So that was the closest I got. And one of the things I did was found that recording and went yeah. back and listened to it because obviously you're you're right, Dan. What you want to do with these things is try and base is in as much facts as possible. So that was my sort of only connection to it. Uh, and seeing footage, like Alex was saying earlier, you know, that there is footage around that you can watch. What's your BBC Radio story, Simon? Well, well, I just I can so clearly remember Ed Stewart being there, and of course, for anybody that that, that grew up in those days, Ed Stewart was, was a hero for us all. Um, and so I can remember, and there are photos in the book of the little of the little um, the announcement booth. Uh, that where they would make announcements from, and very often John Leeson would sit in this announcement booth, and he would make <laughs> announcements in canine voice. Obviously, you know, I love that uh, guy. he would be telling you about at ten o'clock. You can get to the forum to see the Tom Baker panel, and at eleven o'clock, Dalek Invasion of Earth will be starting in the uh, in the cinema tent. I mean, you know, this is mind blowing stuff. As I'm saying it now, I'm thinking, wow, I can still remember back to those days of just hearing these announcements. You know, do I go to the Tom Baker? Uh, forum, or do I go to the to the Dalek invasion of Earth or Terror of the Zygons, or there's the auction taking place? So much going on. So as I say, I remember that little booth, and the booth um, was was a glass sided booth raised above, and so yeah. everyone could see John Leeson sitting in there, whoever it was that was doing the announcements, and so they could see Ed Stewart because that was the booth that they used for Ed Stewart to do the first part of his broadcast from. That was the sort of studio that he used. Um, and then he went out with a roving microphone. And I think I'm right, John, in saying, I think the broadcast is still out there on YouTube, isn't it? Because I've yeah. heard it. Yeah, I, I heard it not so long ago. The whole broadcast, the entire thing. I think they've taken the music out for copyright reasons, but the entire broadcast is there. But as I recall, John, it was on for about two hours, wasn't it? It was the whole show. Is it really? Yeah, it, it felt, and it felt as a, like it was a long show. You're absolutely right. It's still available. Uh, the the music's interesting because they, what they did was they got these sort of tedious links to the program. So they were talking about K9 at one point, and then they played a song about a dog. So it's quite funny. To listen to <laughs> How much is that doggy in the window? So it was something like that. Yeah, so you get you get you get these missing bits, but you but obviously Ed still introduces them, but they're not yeah. played, and, it, and it's well worth a listen. Just, it <laughs> just, is. To, just just to see what their choices were on the day and and um, how uh, you know abstract some of the choices were. And it's such a, I mean, it sounds when you listen to it, it sounds so dated. In that you 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 realise how things have moved on. Um, in, in that time, because it sounds very much of its of its ear. And how slick things like that would be now, for example, when they cover not just the Olympics and things like that, but things like the Live Eight event or oh, the various music yeah. festivals over summers. You know, they've got it's really rough around the around. It's very very rough around the edges. But as John says, it's a brilliant document of of that weekend. And of course, I never heard it at the time because I was there. So in, it was the, really in the queues, big. weren't you? You're queuing up all day because th this is the thing. This event has, for the people, for the most of us, the majority of us out there who weren't there, for, the, for us, this is something that we just hear about all the time. So the queues that went on for hours and hours on end, that's something we hear about all the time. Yeah, the fact that Peter Davison was walking up and down these queues, talking to people, he felt sorry for people who simply wouldn't get in because they, they allowed for so many thousand. But 
masses more turned up. So there's all these things that get passed down, things that we all know about this event. But not enough does get spoken about what actually happened in there, does it? It's all the extraneous stuff. But what was actually said within those tents by the panellists and who and who spoke to who in what order, what was, what was on display, that's been some of the very least the very last details that I felt as a fan who's... I've been trying to piece together this experience for myself for decades too. So for me, this book is literally a gift. It really is a gift because the information there, I've had to kind of draw it in for myself into some rough approximation of what I think it may have been like. Here is my... Probably the only chance I'm ever going to have, despite the videos that are on YouTube and the brilliant productions that, that Real Time Pictures have put out, this, I do feel, is, is something more tactile even though it's uh, on, on a screen rather than on a, on a literal page. It's something something more tactile that I can take my time with. Yeah, and one of the things we did was we looked at contemporary reviews at the time, and it's quite funny because the majority of them are, are quite negative. You yeah. know, we've, got, we've obviously got four <laughs> decades since. Uh, people it's pissing it down. down. I'm stood here for three hours. <laughs> uh, you know, we've got rose-coloured spectacles now, of course, where we look back on it. But, it, yeah, it, I mean, there was a real reaction in the fanzines, in Doctor Who magazine, about how poorly organised in particular it, it was. And the team were, were very aware of that. You know, we've interviewed Lorne Martin and Julie Jones again for this book, and they're very honest about when they saw the amount of people arriving, they knew there was a problem. Oh. It's just they couldn't do much about it, really. They were, it became quite obvious pretty quickly. Yeah. And, uh, awesome. and so, you know, you, um, and, and one of the things they, they talk about is, you know, you've got to remember when this was. This was the days before Ticketmaster and everything else. It's a different world now, isn't it? So announcing it on the telly after an episode of Doctor Who, putting a few adverts in some of the magazines that were around at the time. Um, just the, you know, the, the, the take up was much greater than they ever imagined yeah. it would be. Well, I suppose as well, although, you know, John Nathan Turner has this mm. reputation as being this kind of um, very genial figure. I wouldn't describe him as a visionary as such, but he was somebody who had a clear idea about how to upscale the show, mm. both off and on screen. So I, I can imagine that he was kind of zhuzhing things up and thinking, oh, what if we tried this and that and the other? But it does seem to be something, a monster that got out of his control as well so was it a case do you think of once it was up and running they were running everybody even the organizers running along trying to keep up behind it and respond to kind well, of fighting small fires simon as it was happening know, well, well you know all i can say is this as a how old was i at the time a 15 year old 14 15 year old at the time uh i had no idea about any problems behind the scenes so so the kind of horror stories you read they are reasonably unfair. The truth is... Just one that, perspective. Well, the truth of it is, it was very, very rough for everybody that was queuing outside to try and get in because they didn't know whether they were going to get in and they were queuing for hours. And yes, Peter Davison and various other people did drive up and down in Bessie just to wave to them to try and give them something. So for them, it was very rough. It was also rough for people in the autograph queues who were queuing for hours and hours to get a, an autograph because there was no real control over how many items people could take in to get um, 
to get autographed. But I, I, for me, who was in there and didn't read, well, I don't know why I didn't, but I didn't worry about the autograph at all. I gave up on the autographs. I never got a single autograph from, from Longleat. I just went to the forums. And of course, I'm very happy I did now um, because those are the one things that you could never recreate again were the forums. And to go through things like you're looking at now, which was the, which was the set, uh, the sets in the marquee. Uh, and so, and John Nathan Turner was was a real presence there, walking around in his satin red jacket with with that neon logo <laughs> on the back. Um, he was very much uh, the, the the master of ceremonies, but not in an egotistical way. He was very he was typically John. He was calm. He was unflappable, and you wouldn't have known that they were having problems behind the scenes. And everything really did work like clockwork. That timetable that you brought up earlier on worked pretty much to oh, the letter. Really. Yeah, absolutely. When if it said there was a Patrick Troughton panel at twelve o'clock, there was a Patrick Troughton panel at twelve o'clock, and there it did was. work. <laughs> it, it, it did work, and so I was well, unaware. And so I, I honestly think people that moan endlessly about the queues are being somewhat churlish. I'm like, no, just be grateful you were there and revel in what it was. Revel in the magic. Absolutely, roll with it. There'd never been an official convention before. There'd never been anything like it. In fact, what other TV shows had their own exhibitions and conventions at the time or had even lasted 20 years? So, yeah. We, I wondered, Alex, why would why did they choose Longleat? Because obviously Longleat is a, a stately home. Yeah, it's a big place and they've got the the parks and gardens. You know, it's it's not it's not a small, you know, you could easily spend an entire day going around the, the entire place. This is a big estate and there is lots to see. But at this point, you know, the NEC, I think it opened in the mid 70s in, in Birmingham, not far from me. So they've got that option and several other places over the country. And then, of course, there's Blackpool itself. I, I think as a child paying attention to to what was around the show, for me, I, I um, when they used to announce that there were two Doctor Who exhibitions, one one at Blackpool and one at Longleat, I'd stop listening as soon as the word Blackpool was said because Blackpool, lights, towers, rides, and Doctor Who, and, oh, and Longleat, or oh, whatever. <laughs> I was always far more interested in Blackpool. So I, I wondered, was there ever any any um, doubt about it going to Longleat? Were there ever, ever any other venues considered? Because obviously the there must have been other places which would have been better placed to to host this because as Simon said they they put up tents and and used stable buildings and things like that so what did you f- manage to find out about that lord bath is key to all of this i think isn't he simon you oh, talked yeah. about this in the book and that you know that that first exhibition uh that was there based on the the science museum um exhibition they've been on in london you know he was very keen to have doctor who was part of the attractions at Longley. So it made sense, I guess, with the amount of space that was available to put up the, the marquees that, um, that that's where they would hold it. And, and John, John Nathan Turner had been to America. He'd actually been previously, just a few months before, to, a, to an American convention. And I think that's what in his mind, he really wanted to recreate, you know, a similar event over here. And, oh, yeah, I see that, yeah. Yeah, and, and, and you know, what, what we know, of course, is he managed to get people like Patrick Troughton, who'd never been to any conventions before. Uh, so for him, that was his very first one, and he did a number after. So, the, you know, it was a, a time when it felt like things were really sort of changing in the world of fandom. And also, I think you're right, John, Lord Bath was key to it. As I recall, it was, you know, 
he was very much involved from from day mm. one as as I'm, not, I'm sure it, you know it wouldn't have obviously been his suggestion but he would have embraced the idea from 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 the beginning i do recall i recall stories floating around afterwards that that he was less impressed after the event from the point of view that that all of his grass was completely ruined on all of those beautiful <laughs> manicured lawns uh because it just turned to mud um, it was it was a damp weekend. Um, I remember that the second day was better than the first, uh, and it, it was a bit damp. It was cold and it was damp, and th that many kids tramping around over the lawns, um, yeah, it, it, it caused havoc. Um, but I think I, I think it did make some sort of sense in a way when when because of what they were planning to do, and I and, and to go back to what you were saying, Dan, I really do think John Nathan Turner was a visionary of what he was planning to do with all of because they were going to have the radiophonic workshop there doing workshops they were going to have the visual effects department doing workshops they were going to have makeup artists there you know bbc departments the way they planned it it did make sense to take over something like longleys where they had the space that yeah they were going to have to put up marquees but they had the availability to do it it was an easy thing to do for what they were planning to do, the way they were planning to do it. I mean, to put it in perspective, the marquee that had the sets in, the studio sets in, was ginormous. Oh, I mean, I can't, it was huge. I can't tell you how massive it was. It wouldn't have fitted in any. It, yeah, it would have fitted in the NEC. You're quite right. Wouldn't have fitted in any in any hotel or anything. So it was like bigger that. than the average sort of wedding marquee. It's, oh. It was of a different kind of scale. It was, think, think of like four wedding marquees end to end and you kind of got close to it. It was ginormous. With all these first-hand experiences there, like Simon, you know, he's obviously got some very, very vivid memories there of, of all manner of sort of uh, sensations down to how the grass looked. I would imagine then that there's lots of people who would come with, if not similar stories, then at least memories that are just as vivid and you could you could piece it all together. How many people did reach out with their with their information, with their memories and photographs all in all, roughly? <laughs> uh, it was around about 30, wasn't it? Um, I mean, like, yeah. And just like when we did Blackpool Remembered, for me and Alex, you know, when you get these these emails through with attachments of photographs and people's memories it's just absolutely you just lose yourself in that world and we've got to mention i know it's not 1983 but we've got to mention the 1978 floor plan yes I know, I know i got excited and alex always gets excited as a floor plan but we, we do love a, a good floor plan at team blackpool um, <laughs> And so because it was within the bounds of the celebration itself, you, you'd paid your money to get into those grounds. They made the exhibition free for that weekend. They didn't charge oh, anything. So you just had completely free access. As I recall, they literally pretty much opened the exit and the entrance. You just, you just wandered in in whichever way you wanted to um, uh, at, at your leisure. And so that exhibition that year was seen undoubtedly by more people than any other any other exhibition and so that's why john and i really wanted to get this this right but that ex that floor plan that, that alex is now holding up yeah as i say that wow. was the 1978 plan when i first went there so it's just incredible find for me personally just amazing that's, uh, that's huge so that is the that's an original again an archival document of of great yeah. notes 
from what from what I can see, uh, it, it's an architect's copy. I mean, they're literally called architect's copies. In effect, they're massive photocopies. So it, it, it's it's a totally legitimate thing. It's not like it's just a copy. No, it'll be an original architect's copy, and those things would have been floating around to various different departments to work with. So it's a totally legitimate archive, you know, piece of history that. So for those out there who, who don't know, because obviously this is now the distant past, the Longleat exhibition closed 20 years ago in 2003. But there was a Doctor Who exhibition there at Longleat House, and it was the longest running of the various exhibitions that have been open. It was there from April 1974 all the way up to 2003. I finally went <laughs> in 1997. But uh, Longleat House is this stately home near Warminster in Wiltshire, home to the Marquis of Bath. And it, it's included Britain's very first safari park and garden maze. That's what it's famous for the, the not-we, for the normies. That's what they tend to talk about, isn't it? This huge maze. It's all open to the public and there's lots of other attractions. that are there on the grounds too. And I suppose for something such as this, which is all, all very pretty and all very historical and National Trust-ish, when kids would get dragged to something like this, you know, there was some... There was some um, I don't know, romance to the idea of getting lost in a maze. I think I, I, I always loved a good maze when I was a kid, but this one was absolutely ginormous. And the, uh, But the thing with a lot of these days out, I remember going on some when I was a kid, and quite often, you know, you'd get quite bored. There wasn't enough to see. And so to install a Doctor Who exhibition at something like that, it broke up the day for the kids, didn't it? Didn't it? I mean, because a lot of them, a lot of these kind of locations all up and down the country would have would have variations on the Doctor exhibition, wouldn't they? Like miniature theme parks or model railways that kids could go on for a little while. It's a sort of a, an extension of that, I feel, and very much uh, a child of the 70s itself. Yeah, I mean, I mean, the thing is with the, with the exhibition, again, it's one of those things that unless you were there at the time, it's difficult to quite get your head round what it was like sort of coming across the exhibition for the first time. I don't know whether John and Alex, you can remember with Blackpool, the first time sort of coming around that little corner and discovering oh, the TARDIS for the first time. And certainly that was what happened with me at Longleat. The thing with Longleat is, is it was actually quite difficult to find the exhibition, the way it was located. Um, it was. It, it wasn't. It was out of wasn't the way it, or anything like that. It's just wasn't it the stable. Wasn't it the stable blocks? Yeah. It was behind Correct. the main house. Correct. It's the stable blocks, and so as a result, Longleat itself is something of a maze. You know, the grounds themselves are, are something of a maze, and so it, it would take a while to actually find the exhibition. And so for a long time, you would be hearing the theme tune somewhere, <laughs> and you were trying to triangulate it and work out which which door you had to go through to eventually find oh, the exhibition. I don't know. So coming across it was something of a nirvana and, and, and Blackpool. I mean, it was the same, wasn't it? Because that was difficult to find on the Golden Mile. Yeah, because it's a side street, isn't it? It wasn't exactly. You always say you always said opposite Central Pier, but it was on the. It wasn't on the actual prom. It was down a side. It sounded far more exciting than it was as well. Yeah. Yes. Well, what is it about that music? Because it was. If you were sitting on Central Beach by Central yeah. Pier, as my family would eventually get, you know, they pull me out of the exhibition. Right, we're going to the beach now. We're going to build sandcastles. You could still hear the music, and it was yeah. so. It tantalizing, you know, and, uh, you just wanted to go back, <laughs> yeah, yeah, um, yeah. So, yeah, that's a, very similar in terms yeah. of you, you heard the exhibition before you saw it. 
Undoubtedly, undoubtedly. I think by the time I made it to Longleat, yet again, I missed that. It's what they call FOMO, isn't it? I think they cut the music. I think the budget was down. I know. I think the budget was down that low. That by the time I got there, I'm lucky it was. I'm lucky it was open at all. I remember that the the woman who was working the till, she was doing it in in jodhpurs, and she stank of all shit. So I think she was doing that. I think she was doing like three jobs. So she was going straight from like shoveling something to working the till. To sell me a couple of badges, <laughs> yeah, it was really funny. I got to, I got chased by a lot of geese, uh, which is pretty much part of the course. I don't think I got locked in a toilet that day, although I have been locked in several toilets over the years in various in various locations. But I can only imagine what the toilet facilities were like at the at the. You should do an ebook on that one, Dan. Being locked in toilets. <laughs> we people, don't cover the toilets in the book. Let's just be clear. <laughs> no, we didn't. There's no about toilets in the book. Oh, isn't that? Oh God, blubbers, volume two. Then yeah, well, people <laughs> laugh when I say about the toilets I've been locked in, as if I'm making it up. But it's true. It's all true. So yeah, I did wonder about that. You know, obviously because that much footfall that people didn't expect bodies adults and kids because Longleat it is a kind of reverse that that kind of location is very much the reverse of the appeal of something like Blackpool which I wouldn't say Blackpool is for kids it's for families isn't it but it, it is very it's sensory overload anyway in Blackpool whereas Longleat House is a a, a quieter place there's a stillness much more sedate and you're going back to you're going back to sort of nature it's very much are you a National Trust member kind of place yeah, I, yeah, yeah, you said that, I didn't. <laughs> yeah. Up to, so for Doctor Who to invade this location and to bring with it not just, not just the stars of Doctor Who, but the, um, but the fans as well, all parading around in this, in this way, being going from tent to tent, from, from uh, marquee to marquee, I should say, and probably looking for somewhere to relieve themselves, if the, depending on what the toilet facilities were like. It, it must have been... Unlike anything they've they'd ever handled before. Well, it well, the TARDIS, the toilet facilities. I mean, let's put it this way: they didn't do it again, did they? The Marcus of Bath didn't do this again for any other yeah, show. They never did, and I remember we were all saying that weekend. I all remember saying, you know, oh, they'll do this every year now, and no, it was never going to happen again. Um, and I think that's the best thing. You're quite right; it should never have happened again. It was definitely lightning in a bottle. It was a one-off. It was Woodstock, and that's how it should have remained. Um, but again, what is difficult? to imagine if you weren't there or if indeed you have read John and Alex's book because again this comes across so clearly is the melee of people around there there were so many people but but still I, I just I do get frustrated when all people do is concentrate on the fact there were thousands of people in there because actually no it was just a great atmosphere there was a lot of people and so you would cut it wouldn't matter which direction you look in you would see somebody you'd see again John Nathan Turner in his lovely satin red jacket from a distance you might see he might be escorting John Pertwee that way to a tent Peter Davison might be walking over behind you to to do some autographs Liz Slater would be over the back. It was just at people. They were very alive everywhere. It was very, very alive. It was, it, it, you know, lively. Doesn't even begin to do it justice. It, it was an explosion. There were just so many people around doing so many things. Again, there were Cybermen walking about. There were Sontarans walking about. They'd even taken, I think, John, I'm right, aren't I, in saying they'd taken some of the costumes we think out of the exhibition yeah. and put those on people and got them walking around. You know, these weren't fan made. These were the props, weren't they? Of screen yeah. used. 
Absolutely. And, what, and the other thing, and we've, we've done a story on this in the book, uh, Philip Brennan's put it together, is the idea that, you know, that particular uh, opening of that season, Blackpool was the poorer cousin because not only did they take the very best stuff and the new stuff that hadn't even been seen on screen at that point, um, they took all those large illuminations and truck them down the, uh, the M6, you know, uh, to Wiltshire. Yeah. And so you had those as, as part of the entrance. So you, when you were queuing up, when you were walking in, you'd got these massive oversized Daleks, oversized Cybermen, which if you were a regular visitor to Blackpool, you would have seen as part of the illuminations, that tableau that they used to set up up north. Uh, but at Longley, it, that was almost like a parade greeting you, wasn't it? So yeah. how did you, yeah. did you, you remember seeing those? No, oh, absolutely. I mean, again, this is one of the things I remember on the day before, on the Saturday before watching them erecting those things. And yeah, they were massive. And it was things like that that gave it such a sense of occasion. You were aware Although, uh, you know, with, with something like this, you kind of think afterwards, or did you realise you were at something really special? Yes, absolutely. I certainly did realise I was at something special. And that's why I say it was the best weekend of my life. I was well, I didn't take it for granted. I was aware that this was a real event. And things like those, those massive Blackpool illuminations were, were part of it. They just all fed into it. You were really aware that all stops had been pulled out here. I have to wonder, therefore, Simon, you know, this, is the, this was the best weekend of, of your life. I've never heard you describe it quite like that before, but I believe you. I absolutely believe you. Yeah, but I'm, I wonder with, if that's how the children felt then and still feel about it after all this time. I do wonder what the cast in particular of Doctor Who would have made of all this. I mean, the makeup people too, you know, because obviously they're used to being shut away in little rooms in Television Centre. But the cast, they must have been sold. You know, would you could you attend this? Are you available? Are you, are you not working on something else? Can you be free, free for that day or these two days? So have you spoken to any of the any of the cast too, John, about this about this event? And is it just do you think it's just as fondly remembered by them or do you think when you, when it's a job and it's a job of work it's just another thing you've got to do you took on your costume you go to work it's not quite the same for them what do you think we didn't speak to any of the cast but i was at a convention last month um mm. where mark strickson was a guest and he was talking about it in his panel saying that he'd yeah. been asked to go he thought it sounded like great fun and he was he was late because he apparently always used to be, be late for everything he ever went to um so he arrived, and he arrived at complete bedlam and chaos. Um, so he, his lasting memory of it was, again, just the sheer number of people. Yeah. Um, and I also met Wendy Padbury. And I think in her panel, she was talking about Pat Troughton. And uh, I can't remember if that was his first convention or... It, it, yes, it was. I think she basically talked him into doing it because he was very reluctant to, oh. to do something like that. And uh, I think within minutes, she said he was absolutely loving it to pieces. He was really, and then he, of course, went on to do many other conventions in the next couple of years until his uh, sad, untimely passing in, uh, in 1986. But yeah, I think the, th the thing with Longley is, yeah, Anthony Ainley, somebody who didn't always turn up at conventions very often, uh, Valentine Dial, uh, and maybe yeah. he passed away around that sort of time. Yeah, it wasn't long after. I think there, was, there were many guests at Bongley who were rarities, in addition to all the, like the Five Doctors sets, which had never been seen before yeah. or since. And even yeah. props like the, the exploded 
Death Zone Dalek, which yeah. had its one and only public appearance, there were so many things at that exhibition that either haven't been seen since or guests that, for whatever reason, never did another, another convention or yeah. weren't that regular. So I think there was so much, for those who made it in, it, it must have just been, and I guess you don't realise that at the time, that, you know, it's, it's a dream come true and you're, you're seeing something really rare. And Alex, I never knew a lot of this for years afterwards. I had no idea that the Five Doctor sets were there back in, yeah, well, back I in April. Recently, yeah. That's how poorly documented this event yeah. has been. And that's and that's why, you know, personally, I'm just so pleased that you've put this book together because it has gathered, uh, uh, not all by any means, but an, an enormous amount of those photos in one place and, and as you said Dan earlier they've all, they, 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 there are a couple of websites out there that are sort of that, that talk about it so so there are various photos scattered across the web they're lovely uh, sites they aren't they but they're, they're lovely sites but it's they're very very personal whereas yeah. this feels by I mean I haven't seen it yet I should I should add but knowing your work on previous titles John and Alex you give us that kind of bird's eye view and then we gradually go in. It does feel like we're going in uh-huh. with somebody at our shoulder rather than being mm. led through. It's something we're experiencing ourselves. It's, it's a beautiful balance I think you strike. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, and the other thing is, you know, we, we talked about people wandering around, stars wandering around, and we did have a lot of pictures that, unfortunately, we couldn't include because they were, <laughs> you know, quite poor quality, really. But they're almost in the faces of... Uh, those cast members and what you've got to remember although Tom didn't do the five doctors serial all four uh, of the living doctors at the time were there I mean that's incredible in itself isn't it you've got those first uh, the second third fourth uh, and fifth doctors actually in in, uh, and Tom looks very happy very present more than comfortable being there Went above and beyond, apparently, uh, in the orangery when it came to autograph um, signing because he, he overstayed uh, his time. He, you know, uh, he wanted to sign as many autographs as possible. What we know, we didn't interview the stars, you're quite right. What we know from Julie Jones is, though, that they were very well uh, looked after. They all stayed at the Bath Arms, uh, you know, on a couple of nights um, around the event. Um, and there's, there's one story I didn't realise at all was the fact that Fraser Hines was on his way and he broke down his car and never made it. Which is amazing. Another, another name, you know. I, I mean, I think, I personally think I can actually answer the question of what they thought, the stars thought of anyway. And I honestly think they absolutely had a ball. Um, you, you could tell that the way as they were moving around. You know, as a, as a 15-year-old who is uh, seeing his heroes for the first time, I would have been very sensitive to if they'd been grumpy or dismissive at all. And they weren't. I think they were they were surprised by the um the numbers of people there but they were lapping it up look these are actors they earn their profession by by performing and and being adored and that's exactly what happened for two days (laughs) they were absolutely worshipped and and who wouldn't want to be walking around being having to push your way through thousands of people, all of who want to just touch you or get close to you or, or get your autograph or your photograph. I think they absolutely loved it. Um, and, and going back to Patrick Troughton earlier on, again, I remember seeing that panel um, and he came out a very, very humble man um, and quite um, 
a little bit like rabbit caught in headlights and by the end of it he was rocking it, it, it you could see <laughs> or you saw the change through sort of the half an hour 40 minutes that he was that he was on stage um so even patrick troughton loved it and didn't expect to to enjoy it so you can see again from john there no they trust me and even the back the backstage people the makeup artists the the, the likes of malcolm clark um peter howell they, they were all there and again they were clearly lapping it up because when when would would malcolm clark otherwise have had chance to talk to a room full of enthusiastic people about how he added music to an otherwise mute scene so they were getting their little bit in the spotlight as well so i think they genuinely felt so loved and so valued um I, i'm not in any doubt they all loved it trust me they pretty much hit everything didn't they yeah you'd got props you'd got sets you'd got stars you'd got a backstage crew you'd got um exhibitions of the visual effects department blowing up Daleks uh, yeah. live in front of your face. It, it, you know, there wasn't a lot really uh, yeah. that was missing. I guess one of the things we've heard is the Doctor Who cinema was so popular, but there was just not enough seats for people, was there? Yes, that's correct. I remember that the only time I tried to get into the cinema was to see, I remember trying to get to see Terror of the Autons, um, and, and I did manage to get just about into the back and stand there, and I lasted about five minutes, because as much as, as enticing as it was to watch Terror of the Autons, I, I just gave up and, and I couldn't be bothered to, so I, so I went. And I'm really glad now that I did, because there were people that did just sit in that, in that cinema tent the entire weekend and watch old episodes, and I'm really glad now that I didn't <laughs> fall into that temptation, because you don't need that now. I'm glad I went to see the forums. But yeah, the, music, the, the, the cinema tent was jammed. Um, and quite smelly, that's all I will say. It was, <laughs> <laughs> I remember it being quite smelly. Yeah, it it is uh, hard to, I mean, by the time I started going to events and and Doctor Who club meetings and things like that, you know, they they were showing episodes then, but but yeah, the videos were starting to turn up and it was, you'd you'd sort of wait up, or shall I talk to people? Shall I watch them? But here, it's even more so because there's something, like you said, Simon, if there's something going on there and there and there and there, and there's people milling around, I don't know how I would have coped. I'm terrible at making decisions anyway. Well, I, you know, truth be told, I mean, if I was to go to, to the celebration today, I would just go into meltdown. I wouldn't cope. My OCD would not be able to work out which events I went to. But somehow as a kid, I managed on my own to navigate through it. Um, but it, but as I said earlier, there was just so much happening. You're right. They were blowing up a Dalek and showing Terror of the Autons and interviewing Tom Baker and showing you how to add music onto Enlightenment all at the same time. It's just, <sighs> and you, could, you know, you could, you could, walk into the props tent and pick up an Earthshock cyber gun. I, you know, I, it, it blows my Wasn't mind. behind glass, there was no little sign saying, no, don't you touch. They were literally sitting on a table, so you just walk in. I remember picking up an Earthshock cyber gun, because they were just sitting on a table. That's what, that's, you were, you were meant to pick them up and, and, and handle them. I mean, it, it just, Mind just just the that. thought of it is blowing my mind, and, and yeah, I'm getting very, very excited. Being a child of the 80s, not only do I do I go need to go for a man wee, but I do because I'm on a day out. I fancy a chalk ice as well, so I'm going to go and try and find the the ice cream hut. But in the meantime, you're going to get some far more substantial nourishment, courtesy of our friend Kev on the Fandom Podcast Network. He's sort of our 
It's Stupot Stewart, really, isn't it? So he's going to come across on the tannoy now in a couple of minutes and tell you about all the other fantastic conversations going on across the Fandom Podcast Network on all those other shows. We'll be back with more memories and more behind, in between the covers of this new ebook, Longing for Longleat, when I get back here with Simon, Alex, and John in a couple of minutes. Don't go away. Thank you for listening. We hope you're enjoying this podcast. Here are the other great shows on the Fandom Podcast Network. Culture Clash, where we discuss the latest in entertainment and pop culture. Blood of Kings, our show covering the entire Highlander universe. Couch Potato Theater, we celebrate our favorite movies. And Time Warp, our fandom flashback show discussing a year in movies and our favorite retro movie, TV, and pop culture topics. Good evening, discussing all things Alfred Hitchcock. Hair Metal Podcast. We cover the rock metal music of the 80s and early 90s. Type 40, a Doctor Who podcast discussing the time-traveling Doctor Who universe. Lethal Mullet, an action film podcast covering the 80s, 90s, and beyond. Also, check out the Lethal Mullet Network for more great podcasts. What a Piece of Junk, our Star Wars podcast. Making Treks, a Star Trek podcast with a deep dive into the final frontier. The Fandom Show. Our Fandom Podcast Network live YouTube show discussing the hottest topics in fandom. The True Believers MCU Podcast discussing the Marvel Cinematic and Television Universe. Union Federation, our Star Trek and the Orville show. And we're proud to welcome the BQN Network to the Fandom Podcast Network. Please visit our friends on the BQN Network, a Star Trek Universe podcast that also includes your favorite topics, movies, history, superheroes, and more. You can find the Fandom Podcast Network on YouTube. The Fandom Podcast Network is also on all major podcast platforms. The Fandom Podcast Network audio master feed is on Podbean at fpnet.podbean.com. You can find the Fandom Podcast Network on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. You can email us at fandompodcastnetwork at gmail.com. Thank you so much for listening, and remember, respect others and enjoy your fandom. Yes, we've teased and tantalized you there, as always, and we can even clothe you too. There's merch to match all of those shows, including Type 40, if you head over to tpublic.com. Search for the Fandom Podcast Network, and that's where you'll find a store full of all the team colors for all of the shows on everything from T-shirts to phone cases, mugs and tapestries, and all manner of other things. Seeing is believing. Treat yourself Treat your other selves. It all goes to support the Fandom Podcast Network into the bargain too, so everybody wins we're yes i'm fed and watered and relieved we've got alex stora john collier simon horton yeah they're all still here and we're having a chat about uh, times and places past now recaptured in ebook form in longing for longley that's the third of these ebooks that these two gentlemen have put together over the last few years it must be a really well oiled machine now guys is that how it is <laughs> I think so. We've we've uh, developed a certain way of working, and we've we've got I think a style that people recognise as well now. Um, certainly, you know the covers, for example, Alex always does the covers, and they always um, I think capture whatever the content of each book is about. Um, and we're just so grateful, really, for the support of all the contributors because without them, there there are no books. They provide the material. It's a very melancholy title, "Longing for Longleat." Is that mm. was that deliberate too? We like a bit of alliteration. Uh, <laughs> who doesn't? Uh, who doesn't? And, and that's really how we felt, wasn't it, Alex? You know, we, we've said we didn't make it there. We never went. 
Um, and so there's always that been that sort of pang that, oh gosh, you know, we, we missed out. And as Simon's described so brilliantly, um, you know, it was an absolutely exceptional event. Um, that's, <laughs> how we're, that's how we're all feeling. That's how we're <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> yeah, I think just as I got into trying to, because I, I didn't start going to conventions until I think 2000, 2001. Um, once I got into that swing of things, it was like, okay, great. Maybe, maybe I can finally get to Longleat. And of course, the year I started looking into it, I heard it was closing. And so that was that. And the same thing happened a few years later with uh, with Wales. So <laughs> it's another exhibition that I never made it to. So I think I came up with the title Longing for Longleat quite early on as a bit of a joke, really. Um, but then as we sort of talked about the project, we thought, yeah, that is the title. We don't need to think about what we're going to call it. We've got the title. When I was quite small, we did have a family holiday in Wiltshire, I think in 1982, potentially. And at that time, I was, you know, maybe maybe five years old or so, already a big fan of the show. Had no idea there was an exhibition and had no idea there was an exhibition very close to where we were. Oh, Otherwise, I would have been pestering my parents to go there. So, oh, so you were that close to going without even knowing it? Yeah. So oh, that makes it even worse. That longing there, but uh, and and in many ways, it's perfect title for me as well. Who's somebody that did go there for the simple fact that I would give anything to go back to that Longleat exhibition tomorrow. And and what's heartbreaking, of course, is is it's still there. That the police box is still there. It's just painted white and plastered over with awful polystyrene rocks and it's just awful to see it's terrible to see have you been back since it's closed then simon you've been, I've been back, yeah i mean it's a, it's a long time since i went back and i wouldn't want to go these days Longleat is a brilliant brilliant place and it's a fantastic destination um, and i had so many happy times there but to go back now without the exhibition and see, as I say, the police box. If indeed it is still there, I know it was up until a year or two ago. It's no, still it is, there. It is still yeah. there, yeah. I yeah, couldn't, it's, it's, there's yeah. no way I'd go back. It That's the longly equivalent of the uh, the Blackpool staircase. Yeah, yeah. exactly. <laughs> That's exactly it. And it's now, and the Blackpool staircase has ended up as a shoe shop and all manner of things, hasn't it? So again, it's just rubbing salt into the wound, isn't it? So, so nah. I have no desire to go back to Longley now. It's too it's too painful, I think, to be honest. The the reason for doing our books is exactly that. You know, we can't go physically to those places, but what we can do is take that step back in time. And they did you're right, Dan, the, the titles are all a bit sort of, you know, retrospective and you know, Blackpool remembered, Blackpool revisited. We've got another one coming up in December. I don't know if I'm allowed to say it on this podcast, am I? Yes. Am I? I shall yeah. I was yeah. going to ask you about it anyway, because the last yeah, time we had have, you on the show, last time we had you on the show, I did say to you, yeah, you can have a long rest now, and you say, oh, yeah, yeah, but of course, eventually you are back. I, mean, I wasn't aware that it had been two whole years since the last one, so I'm not surprised you're working on something else. So what can you tell us? Is this an exclusive or near I mean, enough? Well, it's, it's not really an exclusive, because in the in the final page of the, of the ebook, we've put a little advert in uh, about what it's going to be. So this is Lost in Long Gollum. And we are very much, again, going to celebrate that particular uh, exhibition or experience, as it was later called. Um, and we just want to do a very similar thing. We've already started to get stories and photographs from people um, to celebrate the history of it. Um, and again, like you said, right at the beginning, Dan, there's always an anniversary, isn't there? Well, this year is uh, 20 years since it closed. So um, although that's quite a sad thing to think about, 
we thought it'd be a nice thing to mark really um and so it will be similar in terms of the content we're gonna take you back there we're gonna walk you through it what was it like and then Brilliant. we're gonna get those personal uh, recollections as well because i went to langothlin twice so I, I can actually have something to say about it. This is something I can speak on with some amount of authority. Yeah, it was, uh, yeah, both times it was different, but the same. And yeah, yeah, oh yeah. Oh, the memories are coming flooding back already both. And of course, yeah, you're, you're quite right. We are always celebrating something, whether it's something opening or closing or whatever. And the 60th anniversary year, obviously, that seems, it seems fitting that all of these places and all of these times get revisited on a, on a kind of, whistle stop so i'm really pleased i've got to speak to you both again here in the 60th anniversary and catch up with you and find out about what you've got coming up next so for the people who don't know people who maybe only went to langothland because that was obviously so many decades on how can they reach out to you and submit their memories pictures stories and whatever well we have a presence on twitter uh and we are also on instagram Alex does a really good job. I'm not on Facebook, but Alex is on Facebook, and he and he um, he finds people that way as well. People don't you? Alex? Are on Facebook, yeah, yeah. Um, so any of those platforms, really, um, you know, we're very um, accessible. I think in terms of getting in touch, and it's great because it continues that what we set out to do, which was celebrate all of the different events and, and exhibitions that have uh, you know appeared over the years. It's the next part of the jigsaw, really. Uh, we're going to try and sort of bridge it at the beginning of the book because what we what we get after um, the celebration, after Blackpool's closed, Longleat's still going on a little bit. Um, but then there was the USA tour, so we're going to mention that briefly. And, of course, the Behind the Sofa exhibition, which was that big touring exhibition that went around Museum of Moving Image in London and, and various other places. So that's how the next book's going to start, and then we're going to get really stuck in with what happened in north wales and the thing is i mean what this is this is why i you know as, as somebody who has loved the doc two exhibitions all their lives and been to i think most of them if not all of them actually i'd have to sort of do a tick list on that um uh, apart from the night the original 1972 science museum was only four then didn't get to that one but there we go uh, but apart from that no it's the same somebody who loves the exhibitions that's why i love these ebooks um and this was where um i i got most involved with you with you guys on the on the long lead book was was to to try and hammer out the the exhibition in 1983 which as i say was very important at the time um of the celebration because it was it was free access and so everybody that went to the to the celebration pretty much would have gone into the exhibition at some point and so dan th these boys just literally brought me into this crazy mad world which i never thought existed of trying to work out the floor <laughs> plan of what was where in all of those cases in 1983 um and I, 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 it was it was a, it was opening a whole can of worms that was enormously pleasurable. The, the emails that we had back <laughs> and forwards, trying to work out where the Dalek was, where K9 was, whether there was a Cybermen in there or not, was just we were you know we would be exchanging emails at midnight, and sometimes they were go, going so fast back and forth to each other 
that I would send one to John, he would be answering it while I was sending him another one to say, no, hold on, I've just spotted something else. And then Alex would send it, right, I've just got this photo. <laughs> it was the most crazy mad time. I think, boys, we all felt we were going a little bit mad, didn't we, for a while? Yeah, part of the process. I mean, and the thing is, <laughs> with, with Longleat, we just did the one year. With Blackpool, we did the whole, whole decade. <laughs> So yeah, and it there's was... a reason why we need dark rooms to go and rock in every now and then. Yeah, it did feel like that because we got we got so many photos. John and Alex had combined, collated all these photos to get them various sources. And because I was the only one that had been there out of the three of us, we got lots of other people who had been there that were sending in these photos. Um, uh, and so and so I'd, I'd get these photos through an inbox in my email. I'm thinking. Are you sure this was there in 1983? And we'd be going back to horse trying to, well, yeah, John would say, I know so-and-so swears blind it was there. And I'm saying, yeah, but I thought, and I, these are the kind of conversations that were going on, weren't they, lads? I mean, it was yeah, just... I mean, one day, we'll, I think we should just publish the email trails because they're fascinating. <laughs> <laughs> they were happy, happy days. We, we, you know, somebody would look at it and think, what, what are these people on? They, they must have been having a thoroughly rotten time. We weren't. It was brilliant. We still left it with a bit of a question mark over yeah. one exhibit yeah. because we we'd seen it in one photograph, not in another, and a case that we couldn't ever quite establish what was in it in that year. Yeah, case number four, the fourth one in, we we still just simply not certain what was in there. I've got to say, we, we've got an expression now, it's called restless perfection because you never quite get all the answers you're after. We are still arguing about how many mandrels there were in Blackpool in the late 70s. We've still not solved that one, have we, Alex? No. We're still in debate as to whether there was even a Cyberman in the 1983 exhibition. We don't know. We, we, we think there must have been, but we can't find photos. Well, you guys can't find photos. Nothing's come forward. So we don't know. It's it's. And it's, you know what's lovely? Mm. You know, Time does tell, because I remember in the very first book, Phil Newman talks about the Sontaran costume being used at the uh, Coral Island in Blackpool, uh, dressed as a Tim Man, and nobody believed Phil. Nobody. We were like, <laughs> Phil, you're imagining this. This was a crazy dream you had in the 80s. And Vince <laughs> found the photograph. So now we have the pictorial evidence, so you never know. We might get some more answers as time goes on. Should know well, better than to argue with Phil Newman. I, I certainly wouldn't be brave enough. <laughs> well, of course, I it's feel. possible that now that now that the, the book is out there and people start to read it, it, it could well be that people start coming back and saying, well, no, actually, I know for a fact K-9 was definitely not in case five and we can start having that argument all over again. You can find out, the fill the gaps there, what was where and where that Cyberman was. So it's a case, I suppose, of to be continued because some of your earlier titles were updated, weren't they? There was later editions, revised editions of them. So you leave that open, don't you? You leave the, the TARDIS double doors open for that. Yeah, and we, and we talked about that, Alex, very early on, didn't we? The, the fact that it, because it is an ebook, you can do that. You know, you can update it when you find out extra information. I mean, we're still looking for the lady who worked at the Blackpool shop. We say it every time. But you found um, pictures of Irene Perry, Simon, which took yeah. you directly back. So these, yeah. these folk who were around, you know, these characters who weren't part of the programme but were very much part of the exhibitions, it's lovely to celebrate them too. Absolutely. And and for anybody that did go to, to Longleat, they will know, they will have remembered Irene uh, in, in, in Perry in the shop, who was just one of the most wonderful, wonderful people you could ever, ever hope to meet. Um, and certainly the, the photos that, that, that you guys found of the Longleat shop, 
are just nirvana to me because you see all of that stuff. You know, you were saying, Alex, earlier about you, you, you tried to get your parents to buy as much as you could because it was a once only. You look at those photos now and you think, oh my God, look at those, you know, all those original profile prints and jigsaws and Dennis Fisher figures. And you could just go along and just hoop mm. them all up for a couple of quid at yeah. time or whatever. And they're worth hundreds now. I mean, Alex, I know it's particularly painful for you, isn't it? Looking at some of those uh, exhibition pictures, uh, the, the shop pictures. Absolutely, yeah. Things that I had when I was little that I got rid of and wish I kept or not opened and this, that and the other and you just seeing them all sat there all new in rows. Brand new. Brand new. Absolute torture. It makes you wonder why we do it to ourselves. Why, why you do this over and over again, put yourselves through this. But I think I can tell by the smiles on all of your faces there <laughs> and having roped in Simon to this latest project too that it's simply for, for the love of for the love of Doctor Who and for the love of these memories and times and places past. And I do feel that some of this is unfinished business. I, I, think, I think you're doing yeoman's work, preserving, collating, that word collating again. It's really, really important. I don't think if you'd have done this, I can't imagine who would have done. I think it's the way you've both combined to work on both of these projects and what you've managed to promote in people out there to, to, to rally to the core it really has been something special and uh, yeah i hate to see you guys burn out don't get me wrong but however long you're prepared to continue investing in these titles i'm sure there'll be people like myself with more than willing ears and eyes ready to go back in time and space wherever you're going to send us with the next one of these ebooks so i can't thank you enough and i would imagine that a lot of people out there feel exactly the same way Okay, so Longing for Longleat is available exclusively to download from Blackpool, remembered, for the website. The link is in the show notes to the podcast and the description to the video track, too. It's all for free, collated and edited by John Collier and Alex Storer and company, the Exhibition Army. And I'm sure you'd love to know what people think of it all once they get it, once they get it in front of their eyes, wouldn't you, gentlemen? Yeah, absolutely. That's the best bit, isn't it? When you, when you let it free and uh, the response that you get back is lovely. And Dan, we're definitely getting you involved in the next one. Well, I'll do my I'll do my level best to be of some of some use. It's hard to, it's hard can, to top that. You can, you can just start counting mandrels now, and just I'll just warn you now. Be warned. <laughs> I'll give it a go if I can be of any help in any way. Absolutely. You're going to have a rest this time, guys. You're going straight into the into the uh, Long Langothlin book, Alex. Straight in. Yeah, we're already getting stuff. We're putting it together. There's less time as well. We've got uh, just a few months for this one. Mm. Yeah, it will be. I think the one thing that's going to help us is the fact that it, it, because it was a permanent exhibition, it didn't really change that much yeah. over the time. That you know, the exhibits were pretty much the, the, the stationary; they didn't move around. We've got we've got that to tell, and we've also obviously got the story of uh, Dapol to tell as well. So we're, we're hoping to involve, uh, include quite a big section on that and the toy factory that was there. So um, yeah, just enough time, hopefully, for Christmas. <laughs> Got everything crossed for you, as always. That's <laughs> going to be, and I hope you're going to come back and tell us all about it too at the end of the year. Maybe we'll have a bit of a Christmas party and all get together again. But that's the old girl starting up and calling time on yet another edition of Type 40, a Doctor Who podcast. I'll be back with another one soon. Look out for that wherever you found this. It could have been at the dedicated home feed for Type 40. That's over at type40.podbean.com. 
www.spotifycreativeconversations.com uh, where we rolled up on the podcatcher of your choice so uh, spotify amazon music stitcher iHeartRadio, tune in google play all those places we're on the podbean app itself which is regularly updated looking very cool lately and uh, we're on youtube the world's largest streaming platform and we're also on the fabulous fandom podcast network's own master feed still loaded up with so many treats for your ears never mind on the weekly they've got it coming to you and on the daily so please consider a trip sideways in time for more quality shows from the fpn now maybe you'd like to have your say about all of this good news is you can you can reach out to us through our social media that's on instagram and twitter at type 40 doctor who or you can email us if you're feeling if you're feeling so inclined type 40 doctor who at gmail.com if you want some real-time, extra-dimensional chit-chat, that's even better. We've, we've got you covered there over in the Type 40 Facebook groups. That's where you'll find regenerations upon regenerations worth of Doctor Who fans. They're congregating there and celebrating the classic series of Doctor Who and the days of the exhibitions, all those memories of the shows and everything around it too. Uh, same with new Doctor Who, that new generation of fans that came along in the noughties, they're gathered there too, doing exactly the same. And all of us are uh, looking to the future, aren't we, at what's to come in all new Doctor Who from later on in the anniversary year and then into 2024 with Shuti Gatua as the 15th Doctor. Are you guys keeping abreast with everything that's happening for the 60th anniversary year and this sort of latest rebirth of the show? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it, you know, anniversaries are always a nice time to, to celebrate and think back to your love for the series. And there's so, so much coming up, isn't there, that's going to really help celebrate that. Unfortunately, not a celebration at Longleaf, but, you know, other, oh. things, other things we can enjoy, I'm sure. They missed an opportunity there, didn't they? <laughs> it is. I mean, how you were describing it, you know, the stable block with the TARDIS painted white, a kind of monument to times uh-huh. past, which is kind of, it is kind of sad. I'd like to think that, uh, you know, with all this new investment of resources and, and big, big brands like Disney+, Plus, like Sony, that maybe, you know, there was talk a little while ago, if you remember, uh, that the BBC were going to set up some sort of complex in London where they were going to have a sort of a miniature theme park, which they they planned on Doctor Who being a part of. There was going to be a Doctor Who zone, a Peaky Blinders zone, a this, all those kind of things were going to happen. And I think the investment fell through, which I'm quite glad about. I didn't fancy going to that anyway. <laughs> <laughs> the idea of maybe somewhere, somewhere tucked away somewhere like Longleat House again somewhere that feels like a real a real destination rather than at a, a, a big resort or in some complex that you're going to be charged an arm and a leg to get into and mm-hmm. something that could hopefully fuel more memories and whilst yeah. BBC Enterprises was corporate wasn't it Simon there was something homespun about it all yeah, it was very homespun, and the whole thing about the Longleat celebration is it wasn't a convention. You know, this is it, it couldn't have been more different, for example, from the XL convention in the 50th anniversary, which is probably sort of the closest comparison you can make. It wasn't a convention; it really was a celebration. They picked the correct name when they called it a celebration. Okay, let's have some of the social media links again, guys, for the people out there who have heard heard enough and they they want to get this right away. Where can they find your book? What's the what's the social medias for you on on Twitter and Facebook and all those places, John? So tw- Twitter, we are Blackpool it's at Blackpool seventy four eighty five. Instagram, I think we just Blackpool remembered, um, and the website you've already given out, but Alex probably knows it better than I do. To download the book. 
Yeah, it's the same, isn't it? It's Blackpool Remembered 7485.wordpress.com, uh, I think. But I think it's got to the stage now where you can type Blackpool Remembered into Google and it pulls it up. Mm. Well, hey, you know you've arrived in that case. Top of top of all the searches. Well, I can't wait to see how it does. We'll be watching as always. Uh, where can people find you on social media, Alex? Because you've got, you've got so many other projects as an artist, as a musician. Usually, I think on Twitter, I'm at the Light Dreams, which is my musical name. Um, same on Instagram and on Facebook. If you search for Alex Dora slash the Light Dreams, I think you'll find everything there. Or visit my website at thelightdream.net. Yeah, it's testament to the to the, the fandom, the success of these books. It's all down to the contributions. We couldn't do it without without anybody that's you know sent all the pictures and memories in, whether it's one photo or a dozen or just a nice nice write up. It all helps. It all goes in the melting pot, and uh, it makes a really nice project at the end of it. And I think until we did this, there wasn't anything of, of the like. The the old exhibitions had sort of been forgotten about almost. They were never mentioned in the magazine any of the official big books like the vault or the whatever so i think and there was an appetite a nice sense that from joining the facebook exhibitions group mine and john's coming together on that first project we knew we were about to create something there was there was a gap in the marketplace for um so it's, it's all come together so from nothing about the exhibition to suddenly having our books dvds article in doctor Who magazine it's all sort of come together and I think a lot of fans that have waited a long time for all of this are, yes. are really happy. And uh, certainly with our projects, they, they being digital publications, I mean, they can be living projects. They can keep growing, but we sort of like to put a stop to them and move on to the next one. <laughs> Otherwise, we, well. we would never end. Never finished counting the modules. Well, it's sincere. Thank you for everything that you're doing for the fandom, both of you. And you, Simon, getting involved in this one. It does uh, sound like something really guys. special. It was, it was a pleasure to be involved on what level I was, but uh, yeah. There's no escape now. <laughs> yeah, I'm trying, no. I'm trying to backpedal now. I have nothing to do with it, really. I don't want anything to do with the next one. I've already, I, I'm already roped into Lagothlin, so uh, bring it on. Where can people reach out to you on social media, Simon? Uh, I'm very old school. Facebook. That's where I am. You'll find me on Facebook. <laughs> Simple. Yeah. And I, I'm even I'm even simpler, but I am on several social media platforms. So you can get get hold of me on Instagram and Twitter, where I am known as the Spacebook. That's where you'll find me wheezing and groaning, ranting and raving about all things geeky inside and outside of the TARDIS. And yes, uh, having a little bit of a moan because I, was, I wasn't there. I never got to go to Longleat 83, but I am going to get to go when I get my eyes on this brand new ebook. That's what I'm off to do now. Uh, we always have the time if you have the space here at Type 40, but that's it for this time. We'll speak to you all again soon. Take care. Bye-bye. Drive carefully.